We are focusing on worship. We have ice cream, but that's after uh, our last amen. And I'm trying not to think about how we're keeping all that ice cream frozen uh, with our freezer space, but I'm sure that uh, it will stay. I'll, I'll focus right on things as we get going. When the church had just gotten established, we see that the church at Antioch had two preachers. And I find it very interesting what the Holy Spirit does not tell us about those preachers. I don't know which one of them was older and which one was younger. And I don't know what particular talents or individual uh, efforts that each put in in that work, aside from what Luke shares with us sparingly in the details that we'll find, especially from Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 15. These two men were working together in an effort in a place called Lystra. And we find that the people compliment both of them. There's a compliment that is paid to one by calling him Zeus, which was considered to be the chief of the gods. And the other was called Hermes, the chief speaker. Acts chapter 14 and verse 12. But we keep in mind that this was the evaluation of the people and not the estimation of God. When I look at both of these individual men... I find that both of them had strengths and each of them had weaknesses. Well, if you want to talk about one of them, his name was so associated with encouragement that that was his nickname. He was the son of encouragement, Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. But he was not above personal sin. He struggled with it and he was called out on it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 13. The other man was one who so sacrificed himself and so placed himself out there for the cause of Christ that he could write about all that he had gone through for the sake of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and the verses following that. And yet, as he would describe himself, moved by the Holy Spirit, he would say that I am unimpressive in appearance and my speech is contemptible. When you look at those two men... Their names often appear together in Scripture. And sometimes Barnabas' name is mentioned first. And sometimes Paul's name is mentioned first. And as you look at both of these men, not only did God have a place for each of them in His kingdom, He had a place for both of them together. You know, when you think about the ministry efforts that we're trying to put forward here, In this time of transition and change that has begun today, we think about the ministry team that has been assembled here. And I know if you've looked in the bulletin, maybe you have seen the title of this particular lesson, when a church has two preachers, but we understand that there are three ministers on staff here. When I think about the fact that David has come to join us this summer, I thank God for the great contribution that he has already made to the cause of Christ here. I think about the work that he is doing, the work ethic that he has. I think about the many talents that he possesses. You know, if you just look at the artistic ability that David has, how many ways is that going to benefit the church? I look at his drive, I look at his knowledge of the Word of God, and I think about how many ways he has impacted the lives of our young people and of our young adults, and we're just getting started But the elders made a decision to hire two men whose experience has been in the pulpit as we look back over the work that we have done. Perhaps those who look at that circumstance says, well, what is that going to look like? 
Or perhaps we'll say, I've never seen anything like that before. Maybe the answer to that question and to that observation can be seen in the work of the two men that were the preachers at the Antioch Church of Christ. It was Hiram that first showed me that connection between uh, Barnabas and Paul. And it was interesting as I started looking over what the Scripture has to say about those two men as they worked together in that congregational setting. And we can see what happened as the result of their working together. So what happens when a church has two preachers? And we'll use that accommodatively because obviously... We are not in any way neglecting David's work here, which we value so much. But it's in a different emphasis, a different area. I think as we look at Luke's inspired words, that there are a few answers that are given to us. What happens when a church has two preachers? Number one, they can help each other grow. We see that in the text that was read by Eli so well a moment ago. Here you have a man, Saul of Tarsus, who encounters Christ on the road to Damascus, and he is converted to the Lord. And, and we read as we go on in the text that he comes to Jerusalem and he tries to associate with the disciples, but they are afraid of him, not believing him to be a, a disciple. And so Barnabas takes uh, Saul to the apostles and he begins to tell them about how the Lord had appeared to him on the road and how he had talked with him and how he had spoken out boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem and preaching the word boldly in the name of the Lord. And so what Barnabas does is he tries to help to build a bridge to provide an opportunity for Saul. And oh, how Saul walked through that door. What do we see about him? In verse 28, he speaks out boldly in the name of the Lord. And as the result of that, the saints opened up their hearts and they opened up their lives to him. They embraced him. Acts chapter 9 and verse 30, even protecting him when he faced harm. And then those two men together were in such a circumstance that they were uh, a part of together causing the uh, uh, edification and the growth and the peace that the church experienced. You know, you take anybody who's working together in a ministry team like we have here. If we are moved by the same goals and we have the same motivation, we are inevitably going to help one another to grow. You think about how Paul helped Barnabas. You look at Barnabas and how he was going about and encouraging people. That was the thing he was known for. But you remember in Galatians 2 and verse 13 that Peter comes along and that those from James and Jerusalem are influencing even Barnabas so that he was carried away with the hypocrisy. And it was Paul, the one who was introduced to the church at Jerusalem, who could stand up against Barnabas and say, you need to correct that. And to Barnabas, is, uh, for, to his credit... He was able to take that and to move forward and to be an effective servant for the Lord. You know, when you're in, motivated by working together and helping the kingdom to grow, if you have the same goals and you have the same motivation, you're going to help each other to grow. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When I think about the work that I have known of Hiram, and I look at his conviction and I look at his knowledge and his ability to preach. It is hard to think about somebody who is going to do that more excellent than he does. It's going to encourage me, motivate me to grow. And when I think about the work that he does in his drive and in his work ethic, 
in his study of God's word, it's going to help me to grow. When I think about the fact that he has those tools, it's going to sharpen me. And I'm praying for God to show me doors where I can help him in ways and open up doors for him. David and Hiram and I are dedicated to doing the very best that we can to give you our very best. And we're going to sharpen each other. We're going to help each other to grow in the ways that we perhaps are deficient alone. You know, I grew up in the church. I'm the son of a preacher. And I have that perspective. Hiram understands what it's like to have to discover the truth and to count the cost. And as we think about the collective and the the individual tasks that we have, there are two preachers in the church. They can help each other to grow. And I think that that will help the congregation to grow too. Number two, when the church has two preachers, they can meet with the church and teach considerable numbers. When you look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, you see that there is a definite emphasis in Paul and Barnabas' co-ministry together. They are laboring in the Word. They are helping one another and they're helping the church where they are at Antioch to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God. And I understand this is the truth. That information without application does not lead to transformation. It is not simply an exercise of trying to learn more Bible facts or growing what we know about the Bible. A knowledge of the Bible without putting it into use and being challenged to do so more effectively is not going to change us. It will leave us unchanged. I think about the first secretary of the Communist Party, Nikita Khrushchev. He followed Joseph Stalin. And when he was a boy growing up a peasant in a peasant farm... He was incentivized to go out and to memorize all four Gospels. I want you to think about how difficult that is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He did so because he got a a food treat for doing so. He also went and studied under a priest because if he didn't, he'd have to go labor in the fields. And, And so in the end analysis, he memorized four books of the Bible, the life of Christ. And when he came to power, he was an avowed atheist. Do you know that Khrushchev caused 14,000 churches in the Soviet Union to close just from 1959 to 1965? And he would punish clergy that were popular with the people and that made Christianity attractive. He knew Bible information, but it didn't change him. He didn't internalize it. You know, James writes about that, doesn't he? He says, Wherefore, laying aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, let us receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And don't be just uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man that beholds his natural face in a glass, for he observes himself and goes his way, and he immediately forgets what manner of man that he was. But whoever looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in what he does. James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25. But... Sometimes I believe that we buy into a false dichotomy, two false choices. That it's either information or it's relationship. Friends, I suggest to you that there's no way for us to have a genuine, strong, fulfilling relationship with our God if we don't know His Word. 
If there is not an emphasis on the Bible and knowing the Bible and putting that Bible into use in our lives, there is no way that we can be what God wants us to be as His people. You think about the profession that you're in, no matter what it is. You may love what you do, but your effectiveness is directly tied to how much you know. And the more you know, the more effective that you can be. The same is true when it comes to doing the will of God. When it comes to making Jesus our Lord and Jesus our friend. We have got to know His Word. And not just a few books of the Bible, but all the books of the Bible. When you look into Paul and Barnabas' life, what you see is that they emphasize the word in their ministry. They met with the church and they taught considerable numbers of the people. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, in the early days of Saul, he's still called Saul of Tarsus. The Bible tells us that Barnabas found Saul and he brought him to Damascus. And they uh, continued there a year and met with uh, the disciples. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I don't know what that arrangement looked like. Was it every day for a year? Was it weekly? Was it somewhere in between? But they were meeting together and they were drilling down in the Word of God. And as they did so, there was such a transformation as the people learned God's Word more fully that this this is the place where they were called disciples first. These disciples were called Christians at Antioch before anywhere else. So that means that this emphasis on the Word had such a pull and such an influence on them that people began to deeply associate them with Christ. You know, Jesus was always quoting the Scripture. And the men that Jesus left to to lead the people into all truth, they were always emphasizing the Word of God. And so as we look, we see that what Paul and Barnabas are doing is an extension of what our Lord had called his followers to do. You remember that Paul and Barnabas go on that first missionary journey. In the second half of the first journey, after they've established churches all along the way, they go back to those places and they are teaching them and they are strengthening them. They're building them in their faith by appealing to the word of God. There's an emphasis that is put on coming together. And so when they get to the end of that journey, in Acts chapter 14, verse 26, to the place where they had been commended by the grace of God, they had gone back, they come back, and they say that the the power of God had done all these great things, and a door of faith had been opened up to the Gentiles, and they spent a long time with the disciples. Here you have the local preachers, Paul and Barnabas, who have been sent out on this mission trip. And they come back home and they spend a long time with the disciples and what's at the heart of their ministry? Teaching and preaching the Word of God. In Acts 15.35, after Paul and Barnabas have gone off to Jerusalem for something we'll talk about in just a moment, they come back and the Bible tells us that they were there preaching and teaching the Word of God with others. You don't read much about these preachers at Antioch before you see how they were emphasizing teaching and preaching. And that beautiful description that Paul, uh, rather that David gives of the word in Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 through 10, he says of them, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Psalm 19, verse 10 and 11. I want to affirm to you and assure you that David and Hiram and I are going to build our ministry on the foundation of the Word of God. We realize that that's what's going to judge us in the last day. 
and what we need to be the people of God who are functioning the way God wants his people to function is a grasp of what God's word has to say. What happens when there are two preachers in one church? They can preach the gospel to those who need to turn to the living God. This is what we read in Acts chapter 14. We read about the fact that these two men are working together in several different arenas. They are together in local work, Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. We also see that the local church sends them on a benevolent effort in Acts chapter 11 and verse 30 and Acts chapter 12 and verse 25. And they go and do mission work together, Acts 13 through 15. And it's during this mission work that you find Paul and Barnabas together. And as you see them there together, they talk about their ministry and their philosophy. They were not just pulpiteers and they weren't just desk jockeys. They did not see the entirety of their ministry as what they did in the Bible classroom and what they did on a couple of hours on Sunday during worship. They saw that their task was to reach the lost and to bring them to Christ. And so we read in Acts chapter 14 and verse 13 that they're standing there, Acts 14 and verse 15, they're talking to the people at Lystra and they're saying, we are men of the same nature as you. We preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I want you to notice that in this they were saying three things about their philosophy of evangelism. Number one, they were relatable. We are men of the same nature as you. You know, I don't know if sometimes people think that I'm insulted when this happens, but I love it when I'm out somewhere and I'm having a conversation with somebody and as the as we get to the end of that, they somehow come to my occupation and they find out I'm a preacher. And they say, well, really, I didn't know that you were a preacher. I'm hoping that that doesn't mean that they think I'm not living the way I should. But I, I want them to be able to look at me and say, you're normal. You're real. You're relatable. You see, some folks try to set themselves up above others that they're better than others. Some set themselves up as the answer to all the problems that there are. That they don't struggle when others do struggle. But here's Paul and Barnabas out among the people. And what do they do? They say, we are those of the same nature. That doesn't mean we're going to compromise the word of God to, in order to placate people's beliefs and desires. But what it does mean is we're not going to ever communicate that we don't have temptations and problems and struggles. We are men of the same nature as you. They were relatable. And I think it was because of that that they had this opportunity. They were convicted. They said that we are going to preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. They knew that they could not compromise the word of God. They could not try to conform their message to what they thought that the people wanted to hear. It was Alexander Hamilton that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And certainly that is most true when it comes to our eternity and our relationship with God. They were convicted. They realized that this world and sin is heading toward the judgment unprepared. And they wanted to turn those from that to the living God. And they were also God-honoring. Do you see what they say? They emphasize the living God, that He is the creator of all. It's hard for me to think about being successful in winning people to Christ without honoring God. I want to assure you that the emphasis that we are going to strive in our collective ministry 
It's not to exalt ourselves or even to talk about how great this church is. The Apostle Paul says that we are servants of Christ. We preach not ourselves, but Christ is Lord and ourselves as servants for His sakes. We need to do our very best in the Bible classroom and when we're in the pulpit. But I want to say, and I can say it with all confidence, that the three of us have as our emphasis that we are striving to grow in ministry together. That word ministry is an interesting word. It is the word that is in specific context translated deacons. It's the idea of a servant. You know, when Paul is writing almost his very last words to Timothy, he says, yes, to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. But then in verse 5, he says, fulfill your ministry. By having this uh, uh, emphasis together, to work together in ministry, our pledge is not just to be preachers and teachers, but to set the pace. We can't do the evangelism for this church, but we can exemplify it what it means to be seeking the lost. That's what Paul and Barnabas did at Antioch. What happens when the church has two preachers? They can help the church solve issues. Again, no preacher or preachers or ministers are the answer to the problems that the church has. And because the church has people, it's going to have problems But an interesting thing happens in Acts chapter 15. After the first missionary journey, before the second missionary journey, there's a problem that creeps up as the result of new Christians. And if you want to see a church have problems, you call them growing pains, then win people that are lost to the Lord and you have a whole new set of challenges that you didn't have before. But it's God's design that we have those enter the kingdom of God. And so there's this issue that the church has. And so the church at Antioch feels confident that they can send Paul and Barnabas to help the church to deal with this issue. And that word issue is from a word that means controversial questions, arguments, disputes. And it was over something that was troubling the church. It wasn't that it had to be done this way, but the church at Antioch sent these two men to go and help the church. Why? Was it because of their Bible knowledge, their people skills, or their their strengths that they had? I don't know. But they had confidence in them to help the church solve its issues. Does Lehman Avenue have issues? Yes. Because the Pollards have issues and every other family here has issues. Why? Because we're human. And part of what is the idea is that God has organized the church so that different individuals and different groups can help to resolve those things. You think about the different issues that we have. There's the evangelism issue. Are we studying the Bible with as as many lost people as we can handle? You know, the church does not grow when people move from other congregations and place membership here. And we love having workers from other places who come in and to help stand alongside of us and help the church to grow. But the kingdom grows when lost people are won to Christ and are brought into the kingdom of God. Again, the preachers can't do it all. Not one, two, or three men are going to do that. But what we can do is we can model it and we can mentor it. And then there's the edification issue, isn't there? I love our banners. I love our slogan, our motto, that we're growing together. It's the aim that we're shooting at. Are we fully there? 
Do we really, are, are we really growing together as much as we want to? As much as we need to? We will as soon as everybody knows everybody and everybody is involved in each other's lives and whatever barriers there are between us and that is part of what needs to be resolved. A church is always striving to grow more together. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. And then there's the education issue. Do we know God's word inside and out like we want to? I hope the answer is unanimously no. We want to know more. We want to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What is our plan? And how effective are we at our plan? Can we improve in that plan? And then there's the engagement issue. What can we do to make sure that we are known and visible to Bowling Green and Warren County? The early church turned the world upside down, Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. What can we do to make that kind of a difference? And so we find ourselves, the ministry team, in a place where we're working with the elders and the deacons, the vision teams, and the individual members to affect whatever we can to help to resolve the issues that we face. In fact... The Lord's church began as a congregation with, I don't know, two preachers. Really, it was 12 preachers, didn't they, on the day of Pentecost? I know that was a big congregation. But those men were out preaching the word of God. In fact, when there was a problem that rose in the, in the congregation in Acts chapter 6, they said, hey, we're going to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer as others are, are uh, reaching out and engaging to meet this physical need. These men included Peter and John. You remember in that second gospel sermon that's preached, these two men go out and they work together. We're still working out some of the details of that, but we're not dividing the work. We're multiplying the efforts that we're going to seek to do together. And I want to say this, and Hiram, the next time you preach, you can say that I was wrong when I said this, but we're on board with this together. We share the same goal and enthusiasm We're looking for God to use us because it's about His glory. It seems to me that there's a special opportunity here for us to do things as a congregation like we have not done before. I want you to think about that arrangement that started with Paul and Barnabas. How did it affect the Antioch church? When you look at the Antioch church, they were a leader in various ways. And it wasn't simply because of Paul and Barnabas, but it was alongside of Paul and Barnabas that you find them as a church that was leading in in the brotherhood when it came to benevolent efforts because it was their members who gave in proportion to their means to meet the needs of the needy saints in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Antioch became a church that was a model for the brotherhood when it comes to their mission efforts. When you see what happens through their preachers in Acts 13 through 15, that they go out and they are part of the first organized mission uh, trips that were ever done in the Lord's church. You also find them as a leader among churches around them in helping with the problems that we all face in Acts chapter 15. And all the while they were a growing and thriving church. Would you please pray for us? We realize that it's going to be a team effort. It's going to require all of us. But with all of us seeking the same thing, that's not our glory, but it's the glory of God. It's exciting to think what God can do through our work together.
Antioch was good for Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were good for the church at Antioch. David and Hiram and I look forward to ways that we can serve this congregation better together. Tonight it may be that you're ready to be a part of the cause of Christ. You're ready to put your hand to the plow and to be a useful part of the kingdom of God. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to help you. That's all right. We can have ice cream soup when it's all over. We'd rather see you baptized into Christ or to respond to the invitation to be restored to Him. If either of those are your needs, then we can help you. Please let us do so right now as together we stand and sing.